Hey folks, and welcome to this week's podcast. Our guest is Freddy Johnston. He's playing a, a show in Montclair September 23rd. The details we'll get, get into during our, our chat, but it seemed like a good opportunity uh, to talk to a guy I've been listening for years and years Interesting to put together the singer-songwriter thing at the time he did, you know, the early 90s, but with a, a different approach, certainly not a folky approach at all, I don't think, but not a straight-up poppy approach either. He really had a unique, and still does, a unique point of view, and we'll get into that. We'll get into what the roller coaster ride of major label uh, in and out did to him, how it changes the way he did business and does business. I think it's uh, super interesting and a unique window. Super honest here during this chat, so uh, hope you enjoyed it. It's me and Freddie Johnston, and uh, and that's it. Enjoy. All right, there is Freddie Johnston. I believe he is on the telephone. Freddie, are you there? How you doing, Michael? I'm here. I'm doing great. I know that right now you are in, or maybe you're on your way, I don't know, to Fort Collins, Colorado. You're on tour with the Jayhawks tonight. Uh, there, and you're kind of working your way east. You're going to be in Montclair, New Jersey on September 23rd at this uh, big show. We'll talk about that in a minute, but your story's so interesting to me. You moved from Kinley, Kansas to New York in the 1980s. So first question is, was the New York City scene welcoming to you at that point? Oh, I don't know. That's, I don't know what the scene, uh, um, you know, being welcoming, they always are, you know, every, all musicians, everybody was very welcoming. It's a matter of, did I have the gumption or what's, what's the word? That's a Kansas word, I guess, to do the open mic nights, you know, and to learn how to tune my guitar on stage. And I didn't have contacts yet. Either I couldn't afford them or whatever. And so I was, I can't see. So I was doing these gigs with no glasses on, like on uh, on <laughs> uh, Washington Street in Hoboken at uh, a place called Live Tonight. The answer to that is, oh man, I got all kinds of, uh, um, you know, open arms and help starting out. I was just a guy with a day job and I had no idea that it was going to not, because other musicians, you know, had really started earlier. That's, I guess that's the main difference is I didn't join a band when I was in my teens, you know, like a lot of guys, which is anybody out there who's doing it, that's the way to do it. You know, start when you're 14, Yeah. find a partner who you will, will eventually sue, I'm sure, but <laughs> but you'll like, together you'll make, you know, a great music. Just to be clear, you moved to New York to pursue music career. Well, yeah, I did. I really did, but I was very, what's the, I don't know, man. I did it in my bedroom on my four track, I wouldn't admit it, kind of, you know, because I was had never been on stage much, you know, but I was writing songs. And the, yeah, that was, that's, it was, I wanted to be, I was secret, secretly wanted to be a rock star while working my day job. There's a million guys and girls doing that today. And I got as lucky as a stray dog can get, you know, and I, I worked, you know, I played a lot of gigs, man. And then I, then really what happened was my first record, Honestly, I think it's fair to say, I'm being really nice, to, but, you know, it's like, whoa, that guy's, that guy's going to, you know, he'll develop, you know, he's going to get better. But somehow, on the second record, I just learned how to write songs a whole lot better. Just <laughs> it clicked. And it's a lot better record. 
And then uh, I got a lot of help from my musician friends and my manager at the time to get this amazing group of musicians together. And the second record really showed that it's like, wow, I actually can't quit my day job. Uh, and that was very strange to me. And I will say this, that just, again, it just why, why beat around the bush? The common adage of success doesn't change you. Success reveals you. Couldn't be more true. Hmm. So, you know, it's the whole thing of be careful what you wish for is just so true that it makes me laugh now, you know? Because I love, because I loved my day job. I mean, I mean that in a nostalgic way, of course. Because I would be unhappy, perhaps, if I was still an office worker thirty years later and retiring from that office. But I loved my job. I loved going out to lunch with my coworkers and just, you know, it was just whatever. When those first, you know, those first three records came out, I really think there was something about the sound, the style, the mix of influences, your point of view. There was something that was needed and kind of like filling a vacuum in the scene, something that was new. Can you do you agree with that? And can you sort of help me break well, down what those components were of what you were doing? I don't know. Again, where like it's really you got to be honest and humble. I can't, I, you know, I want to, don't want to listen to guys who are like, yeah, that was my period. And I was like, yeah, that's from that kind of genius came out. It's like, you got to realize that like, you're lucky to be in baseball in the first place. And you don't even know when you're doing your good, your best work. So it's like, you know, like the, 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 um, you know, the fact that 80% of our, uh, uh, cognitive, activity is subconscious. Well, that applies to songs too, you know? So it's like, I didn't realize I was suddenly writing good songs till people told me. They're like, wow, this is a lot better. What's going on? It's like, oh, I don't know. What I was really trying to do was get better, you know, just, and I was trying to emulate. I didn't really have very, that, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of records just because I didn't ever have them. Didn't, didn't ever buy them, didn't carry them around or wasn't a collector really. But I latched on to certain bands like early on Steely Dan and, and uh, because of their, their lyrics and, and Elvis Costello and Neil Young. And at that time of Can You Fly, I was way into the Pixies, Surfer Rosa album. Only that. I love the EP, but I would listen to that album. My neighbors must have hated me. I'm <laughs> not joking. I would listen to Surfer Rosa four or five times, you know, a, side A, side B. Anyway, and the Mekons, Honky Tonkin. Those two records, that's what I listened to. The only That's all I listened to. So I sort of, like, the, the non-rhyming schemes certainly come from John Lankford and, you know, Sally Timms. And, and I'll just say, you know, some really strange things happened because I was, like, the Mekons to me were like, uh, I saw them live once, but wow, I didn't. They're like deities or something, you know, and they walk by the club and it's like, wow. And then a few years later, not even a few years later, but a few years later, I'm at online at a gig, and Sally Timms is there with my friend Tony uh, Mamioni from uh, Peru, bass player. I'm sure you know Tony. Tony Mamioni. Uh, sure. And, and uh, Tony says, hey, uh, Sally, this is a Freddie. Uh, uh, and she goes, oh, my God, Freddie Johnston, you're a star, aren't you? And it's like, oh. It was the, that will never, that will ring in my head always as like the weirdest bell ringing, what the heck moment, because I was like, whoa, I was just getting used, I was just getting ready to say, you're one of my favorites, you know, 
I didn't even get it out of my mouth. And it kind of, I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't think it's good to be successful. That's, that's, that should be a, a, a T-shirt I should make. I don't think it's good to be successful. Freddie Johnston. I don't know. I think, or you've got to be somebody who really knows how to, how to ride that wave, man. Because why? I mean, you get signed to Electra in 1994. Was the experience of being on a major label not what you were expecting? No, I just didn't know the job at all. I didn't know the job at all. And I was thrown into this kind of semi-executive position where I had a band, you know, with a crew. And my manager at the time was like, hey, you know, you got to set the tone at the top and stuff. Like, I want to go back to my office, you know. <laughs> and so I was a dick, you know, like, I mean, so many people are. It's like, it's not, that's not being unkind to myself. It's like, you know, I, I just really, you know, didn't really realize what I had going on. And, that's, uh, that's super that, that, interesting. That's really that's that's just really great to it's great to have had it happen because I had great you know wonderful gigs of course as far as that goes like see I can say that like in the chaos but the fans from that era would be like oh man I saw you with the band the Can You Fly era that's one of the best shows I've ever seen you know so we had amazing amazing shows I, I will you know just to give you an idea these are funny things that maybe people don't know but I got really well known for one year <laughs> and it freaked me out i went back to my hometown and a little house you know nobody comes to see us we're just like you know whatever no 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 poor me stuff but like you know just a little you know my family and people were coming to visit during christmas vacation who i didn't even know like the local lawyer and his wife and my mom would be like oh here comes such and such wonder why he's here and it was to see their successful son. That freaked me out. Totally. It was like, what? They would make the trip to our house. They normally would never do that unless they were going to serve a summons. And they <laughs> would be like, that's not a joke. And I'm sorry. But, it was like, you know, anyway. My family always liked to drink. And, uh, and it, I've, I, I, anyway, I just, uh, uh, I just think that um, some people lean into it really well. John Cougar Mellencamp. Took the ball and ran with it. I never was super, you know, he didn't blow me away at first. But the way that he did it, like did the whole thing that he did, writing better, better, better and better songs and becoming, you know, really just, I liked his stuff, you know, it was really great. So uh, that I couldn't do. I just like, that's something that's in you, man. Hmm. And it's the kind of thing that I guess I'm glad. I think about this sometimes. Gosh, I got to stop talking about myself. But I'm, like I said, lucky to be in baseball, as, as my friend Mark Spencer used to say. I just get my, I get my daily chores done during the day, let alone run a, a, a successful uh, career, you know? It's just, and that's just always been the way it is, man. I'm, I, I mean, I'm very proud of a lot of things I did. Like I said, I wrote, started writing really much better songs during Can You Fly. And, and, and it really blew me away, you know? It's like, wow, I actually wrote that? Like, I remember writing Mortician's, da Mortician's Daughter and finishing it. And sitting there in my apartment, Hoboken, and just like standing up, and like, wow, I think that's pretty good. And, but you know, when you're young, like you do get these real insights. As I'm sure you've seen, this great video of, of uh, Bruce being interviewed about writing, I think, The River or Darkness at the Edge of Town. And he's like, he knows that everything he's doing is, you know, see, it's an example of a guy who knows, he feels the weight of history on him, you know. 
and can really rise to it. Bruce is an example of a guy who's like, well, he just like is Bruce. I don't know what the heck it is, but it's Bruce. There's not, I mean, he's unassailable to me. It's like, like Neil Young. It's like, yeah, whatever, or Tom Freddy, like, whatever those guys did, <laughs> that's, those are my deities, you know, and I'm sure they would say, like Tom would be like, oh, really, man, don't, don't deify me. I was just a, another fucked up, guy, another screwed up guy, you know, and I, that would not be the case in my eyes. So I don't know. Mm. I know I'm running on here, but it's, 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 it's all part of the story. So has songwriting, uh, like how long, to, how many, you know, is it days to finish a song or minutes? What is the usual thing? No, no, it's a, it's not a, I don't, I wish I could do that. I did live in Nashville and Austin for a period when I kind of went on a, a walkabout around the nation after I got divorced. I moved to various towns. And in those two towns, people did this kind of songwriting where it's like, hey man, let's sit down and write a song. How about it? We'll call it, we'll have it about a bridge and a sky, you know what I mean? And then two hours later, you got a song. It's like, okay, I, you can do that. <laughs> That's a way to do it, you know? And I never really um, came up with any way to apply that. To, and, well, I would say that when I did that with people, the songs were great. You know, I never performed them myself, but when I would, it, when I would work with people on songs that were mainly their first ideas, or, or we collaborate. Anyway, what I'm saying is, uh, I tried to apply that to my songs, it just doesn't work, you know? I can't tell myself, hey, Freddie, let's sit down here in a couple hours and knock this out. It's just like, it just doesn't somehow work that way. But yeah. I did have one successful co-write, uh, well, so, but just the answer to, to the general answer to the question is, it takes way too darn long, and now that I've, since I wrote the last record, and it's out, I was putting myself under pressure to finish the next 10 songs by the end of the year. And somehow I, I just realized, okay, I've got to just let the songs do that because I'm about, I'm not quite 10 in. You know, they, I'm pretty hard on, my, on the lyrics, you know? And so, um, I'm, so I've just said, okay, the record's done when it's done. Like this, so I'm... If that's some insight into that, like you know, it's it's uh, uh, I need a few more months. It has to. It's a. I think it really is. I think it's normal for me, even though it's as screwed up and un, un uncommercially viable as can be. But it's just the way it's always been that songs are at least two years and generally ten. It's just from the first idea to the finished lyrics. I've ne- some twenty. It's boring. Wow. You know, they're around so they're around so long. And it's just like, are you ever going to present yourself to me? What are you? You know? Because the lyrics are, you know, the music and the emotion are always there from day one. And in my mind, I can sing it as like a hit song and I can get what I'm saying in a subverbal way, but I can't put it into words for maybe five or ten years. And then the meaning of the song changes, parts are added, taken out. I'm very happy about it, but I look back and I'm like, wow, that was an odyssey. Like there's a new song on my ne- next record that's like, it's literally, it's like, man, I think I wrote that when I was first moving to New York in 84. And then it's had a part put on it for the last 20 years. And now it's needed lyrics for the last 20 years and it's finally getting some. And I just got to say, that's the way I'm, I'm sorry for, for my, um, I guess, 
the way to put it. I'm sorry for my songs. They take so long. I'm sure they would like to, to be out into the world quicker. <laughs> That's kind of mind blowing. Um, over the years, you know, I guess this is back to kind of the the label thing, and the upside of that is like you get this access to this huge team, and you've worked with some interesting producers, right? Chris Butler and Butch Vig and Danny Coachmeyer and T Bone Burnett. Tell me what all the best, man. Yeah, what is that, that relationship like when you? I mean, I assume some of those guys are more collaborative than others. What's it like to bring in a song and to kind of seed some of the control to? those guys oh it's always it's always very different i i learned so much from each one of those guys i'm still in touch with with most of them t-bone's pretty you know he's he's pretty uh, uh much on another plane but i you know i, I sent t-bone an email a few years ago and got a, a reply which was strange you know it was nice uh and cooch you know it's just you know and, and stan lynch had a lot of real wisdom to pass along bv of course Butch's record is the reason people know me. And then, you know, the experience at Can You Fly, it was, it was two, it was Graham Maybe and Newt Bone. You know, that was just, that. I didn't really know what was going on then. So I, I can't really say how that process went because I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I didn't even know what was going on. But working with Butch was the first time it was very clear. It's like, this is how we do a professional record, you know. or Not that Can You Fly wasn't. Can You Fly was like, hey, uh, the label can afford to get some hours from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. at the studio, you know, or the label would give us enough money for that, you know, not, not criticizing the label. We had to go on a budget. But I will say, and it's just true, when I tiresomely quote other producers, like an old man sitting on the front porch of the country store, it's generally T-Bone Burnett because he said, he said a few things to me that's still profound and I think are still useful. The one thing that Danny Korchmar said, and I don't know if he made it up, but it's true, he said, I'll tell you how to make a great record, Freedy. You give me 10 great songs. It's just so great. So Brooklyn's like, you know, that sounds like a good plan, boss. Yeah. That's, he said, you give me 10 great songs, I'll make a great record. And it's like, it seems so clear. It's like, that's, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll make it sound good once you give me the idea. But anyway, the heaviest production that was ever laid on me was from T-Bone Burnett. I was spending the label's money at the Village Recorder. Jim Keltner, good lord, can almost smell the money burning in the in the <laughs> tubes. But it was it was a great great time because it was very extravagant. And T Bone Burnett was just like treating it like, oh, okay, you know, he's like, bring a couch in. I want a couch in the in the the studio room where the band is recording. You know, so I can sit in there. It was, it was really great. And I was working on a song called. Um, moving on a holiday and I couldn't get the lyrics done. We were doing it live, you know, like, and, and, he, and he said, um, he turned from the board and said to me, I'll never forget, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, Freedy, can't you just, in a spirit of generosity and humility, sing what's in your heart? And I just remember being almost like hit by some kind of uh, uh, ninja mind wave you know it was like whoa it almost knocked me back physically because it's like that's some heavy production for bob dylan you know or somebody who's like or chrissy hine but i think i said it's like oh, i can't do it boss you know something like that i just like no i need i need an hour and i went and finished the lyrics but he meant it to be like here's my best fastball how you gonna how you gonna deal with it kid it's like wow well 
it'll work on some people. Because I'm sure Bono would have said, you're right, you're right, I got this, you know. And it would have been amazing. And I'm not, I mean that, Bono's, you know, he's like big, big star. So I went back upstairs um, to the top floor. If people will know this reference, if they've been there, the top floor of the Village Recorder, still there with the old ATR half-inch mixed-down machines where, with those little carpeted rooms with carpet like on the walls the, where all the songwriting and the hijinks happened, you know, during the Fleetwood Mac era and stuff. It was funny as heck. And there I am in one of these little barren rooms uh, uh, finishing one of my songs. Anyway, that's the, that's the heaviest production story I got. Folks can get information about all of your records if they go to freddyjohnston.com. Uh, let's talk about this show that's coming up. It is the Outpost Fest, which is uh, an outdoor thing at the Van Vleck House in Montclair, New Jersey. Lots of interesting folks on the bill. Nicole Atkins, Joe Pug, Hodero, uh, Deborah Devi, and Adam Falcon. It's uh, two weeks from now, Saturday, September 23rd, uh, six acts two stages and uh, folks can get information at outpost in the burbs.com. I guess they can get tickets as well. Is there, so what is touring like these days? Do you, do you still love connecting with an audience? Oh yeah. Touring is uh, uh, something that is for me now. It's like every couple months I'll do like this. I'm doing, you know, um, these Jayhawks shows and the Montclair show and then take a month off fly back home. So that's kind of what it's been, which is, is great because I, I love where I live in Portland, Oregon. I love Portland, Maine too. What is left to do for you? Is there, what do you, do you just want to keep, keep putting out records every couple of years and touring? Is that, is that your plan? No, I'm, I'm unabashedly saying it now. I have a whole bunch of paintings that I'm trying to finish and um, here in Portland and they are these big figurative paintings that um, a series of anyway it's a it's a it's a job that I'm going to finish. I I used I did it like like most musicians. I was in art school for one semester, and then a few years ago I started doing it again. And now I've got these things staring at me that I've got to finish. Um, and so that's kind of it helps the songwriting in a way because I get involved doing that, and I don't even. If, and then an idea will come out, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like if the song isn't being paid attention to, it's like, Hey, hey, wait, wait, no, wait, Hey, <laughs> it's, sort of, it's like, wait, wait, I got an idea after all. It's like, Oh really? Okay. So put down that paintbrush and pay attention to me. Yeah. Hey, what about me? So the, uh, that's, I'm really glad for that. I did it for a while, not telling anybody very nervous about it. Cause I don't like it seeing I don't know. If you're going to cross over into some, you know, other art form, you better do it well, or at least you better do. I don't not do it well, but you know what I'm saying. I don't either. Don't either do it okay, and don't, and, or don't talk about it. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a show sometime next year here in Portland. The show, well, if you're in Fort Collins, Colorado tonight with the Jayhawks and uh, check freedyjohnson.com for uh, all his touring plans and there's information about his, his records and I, I assume there'll be uh, stuff about your, your paintings and stuff in the future. But the big Coming news up, is... Yeah, the big news, September 23rd, Montclair at the uh, Outpost in the Burbs at the Van Vleck House, the Outpost Fest and information tickets about that at outpostintheburbs.org. That sounds like a fun day. 
Monday. Uh, I guess we'll see you there, Freedy. And uh, thanks for for such a interesting look into how you have done <laughs> for so many years what you are doing. Oh goodness! I hope that I I hope that what I've said is is I don't know. I just I hope it came off uh, <laughs> uh, well. I will say that I'm going to be playing with my buddy James Mastro. Uh, will be will be a uh, an, an acoustic rock duo at the uh, Montclair Outpost Fest. So see you there. Yeah, terrific. See you there. Thank you, Freddy. Okay, bye, Michael. I know I got a bad reputation, and it isn't just talk, talk, talk. If I could only give you everything you know I haven't got I couldn't have one conversation If it wasn't for the lies, lies, lies And still I wanna tell you everything Till I close my eyes Suddenly I'm on the street Seven years disappeared Do you want me now? Do you want me now?